the best. Ginger, now listen, we started dancing, right? Slow dancing, like we were stuck to each other. Now eventually it's obvious to me that she wants to do more than dance, right? So we left the place. On the way to the car, she's already got her tongue in my ear, right? <laughs> we get to the car. She says we can't go back to her place because of her roommate, right? But she says, hey, that's no problem. She's got these seats in the car that recline back. All the way back, if you know what I'm saying. All the way? Well, I shit you. <laughs> right? She rips my shirt open. She's clawing my chest. She, she's, she's biting my neck. And I'm, I'm trying to get over the stick ship because we're going like a freaking freight train now. All of a sudden, she starts screaming at the top of her lungs. Oh, God! Oh, God! Don't stop! Don't stop! Make ginger pop! Oh, shit, really? No. This is the Growing Up Rock Podcast with your host, Stephen Michael and Sonny Hollywood Pooney. Now, crank it up. Yeah, but we did dance. We danced our asses off. Don't stop, don't stop, make ginger pop. Do you say this to your old girlfriends, Hollywood? Uh, No, I have not said that because uh, most of the girlfriends I had would have punched me. So, no, I have not done that. And if I said that to my wife currently, I would get punched. So, yeah, that, no. (laughs) All right. So, Growing Up Rock is escaping to the movies for this episode. We decided that it was going to be a great time for us to do a crossover episode with our friend Brian Davis at Damn Good Movie Memories. Brian, what's going on? Well, I, thank you guys for having me on. And of course, the listeners have already listened to the film. So now they're joining uh, you guys to hear the soundtrack. But I will say, I, I did say what you said in the beginning when I was on Gilligan's Island many, many years ago. So thank you for reminding me about Ginger and, and Marianne and whatnot. So this is going to be great. Were you actually on Gilligan's Island or you were just watching it by yourself in a room alone? <laughs> I'm not going to, we're going to leave it. Use your imagination. (laughs) (laughs) I'm more of a Marianne guy anyway. Not a ginger guy. Yeah, me too. I'll I'll say the same. So let me explain the layout here to folks that are just coming over here to listen to this episode. On Friday, if you're listening to this podcast on release day on Sunday, on Friday, Brian over at Damn Good Movie Memories released a episode covering the movie Footloose. Today, Grown Up Rock is getting outside that hard rock box and exploring the soundtrack. And we're going to do a full-on soundtrack review of Footloose and go track by track and give you our thoughts and our opinions. And you might want to take our hard rock metal cards away from us, but uh, we'll get them back in some way, shape, or form. So, Brian... You're supposed to say what right now? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Yes, Ginger. Make me pop. (laughs) 
What is this a knock knock joke? Come on, man. <laughs> Do you? I was, I was waiting for Brian, comma da 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 da. Yeah, no, Brian. So Brian and uh, the crickets are are playing, and and so this is where you say what? Do you own this soundtrack? Oh, absolutely. Uh, this this soundtrack was actually the first. I think really the first soundtrack I remember listening to a lot because my mom, for whatever reason, most of the t- stuff she used to buy, whether it be Saturday Night Fever or Flash Amp, Rock, she bought those on vinyl. So this was one of the first, I think, cassette soundtracks she bought. So this meant it was in the family truckster all the time. We, we were listening to this constantly. Uh, so, yeah. So once I always had that tape, once that tape became, you know, destroyed after a while, uh, I ended up buying it on CD. And, uh, yeah, I mean, because of Footloose, I saw the movie maybe a year or two after hearing the soundtrack. So the soundtrack was already kind of in me um, and the movie didn't mean anything until me until a few years later. So it was interesting to hear a soundtrack first, then go watch a movie. And there were some movies like that, whether it be Ghostbusters or Back to the Future, I think the Blues Brothers, uh, even Dirty Dancing. I think all of those were soundtracks first for me just because of my age at the time, because I was like five or six. So it's really interesting about soundtracks because you guys know this. I think Saturday Night Fever was really the beginning of the modern era of original music for soundtracks where, you know, they created songs just for the film, just like Footloose. And today, like there's no original music for films. You might get a playlist type thing for Guardians of the Galaxy. Maybe Disney might do something. Uh, there was a Star is Born with Lady Gaga, but it's over. Like it's kind of over now. So this is kind of the Footloose was kind of the golden era of soundtracks, I think. I'll tell you what, not to digress, but you saying that kind of made me think of something real quick that I want to to share with you guys. I was going to share it off air, but I'll share it here on the podcast, which is last night. So Disney finally released Disney plus finally released Cruella to the general subscribers instead of the premium subscribers. So my wife and I watched Cruella last night on Disney plus. I don't know if you guys have seen that movie yet or not. I enjoyed it overall, but what I did really enjoy is that the soundtrack to that movie is amazing. Like Mm -hmm. at towards the end, they went from black Sabbath, the wizard to sympathy for the devil with the stones and all kinds of different, like rock and punk throughout the movie. They had some really cool, like, Tina Turner versions of Whole Lot of Love by Zeppelin and uh, something else that she does a cover of. They just had some really good music. So if you've got like a Disney Plus subscription, I highly recommend you go check out Cruella on uh, Disney because the soundtrack is amazing, like really good. But it wasn't original music, right? It was all tried and true music, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. You saying that just kind of tweaked my brain a little bit and made me think of the movie. But yeah, really, uh, I'm not telling you this because it had to do with the original. No, it's all it was all uh, cover songs. uh, Got it. Mostly well-known cover songs and stuff like that. But just a really good soundtrack overall. Sonny, do you own this record? I own the original. I own the 15th anniversary and then I own at least four, possibly six of the albums that uh, had these songs on it, either originally or afterwards from the actual artist, too. Do you also have uh, Lori Singer's panties? Because apparently you have everything else. <laughs> I don't, but I have Dancing in the Sheets on 12-inch LP single. <laughs> <laughs> and he dances at night in the mirror to it every <laughs> night. Amazing. Amazing. See, that that can be the the counterpart to brutal. It can be amazing. (laughs) All right. So let's get into some basic facts about this soundtrack, because this soundtrack is pretty diverse. Got some great stuff in it. 
uh, and we'll talk about bits and pieces of other music that might be in the movie, but not necessarily on the soundtrack as we go. I didn't own the soundtrack, by the way, till recently uh, when I knew we were doing this uh review i wanted to pick it up so i went and i bought the anniversary edition with the extended mix and had all the stuff so i now have dancing in the sheets uh extended disco mix or whatever they're calling it as well uh and i do not dance in front of the mirror with that song so yeah sorry <laughs> anyway some basic facts about the movie uh the or the soundtrack sorry the soundtrack was released january 31st of 1984 the length of the soundtrack the original soundtrack was 3625 and the label was columbia records the producers were Beck, there's a whole list of producers on this thing becky shargo dean pitchford and dean pitchford is important in this whole scene this guy has a writing credit on every freaking song on this soundtrack i had to look look this guy up because he also wrote the screenplay for this movie and apparently this guy is a renaissance man he's an actor a singer a songwriter he does it all uh and my guess is that he probably never has to work another day in his life based on this movie alone because he had to make a shitload of money and residuals from this movie and soundtrack so Dean Pitchford, Kenny Loggins is uh, credited as a, a producer, Lee DiCarlo, George Duke, which is a jazz pianist. George Duke's awesome. Credited Keith Olsen, Keith Olsen, the producer. Keith's produced many great hard rock records. Jen Steinman, that's not the meatloaf guy, right? That's this is a different guy. Anybody know? I think it is the, the Jim Steinman. Yeah, I think it, it is. is Meatloaf. Yep. Is it? Uh, I thought one was Steinman and, and one was Steinman, but you guys might know better than I. I really am not that familiar. So Jim Steinman, Bill Wolfer, David Foster, who David Foster, very famous uh, songwriter and producer, John Boylan, and then Sammy Hagar gets a producer credit as well, even though... You know, a couple of these producers, guys like Sammy Hagar and Bill Wolfer, Kenny Loggins has two songs in the thing, but Sammy's only got one song on the soundtrack. It's interesting that they got producer credits. Uh, so I would be curious as to how that all went down. But the record overall sold 9 million copies in the U.S., which makes it just short of a Diamond certified record at 9 million copies. It's unbelievable the amount of singles that they released from this from this freaking soundtrack. So they released Footloose, I'm Free, Let's Hear It For The Boys, Holding Out For The Hero, Almost Paradise, Dancing In The Sheets, and Somebody's Eyes all released as singles, all released in 1984 at various times, which is pretty much, what is that? Uh, almost uh, the entire soundtrack, except for one or two songs? Except for two songs, yeah. So seven out of nine were released as singles. That's really unheard of. I mean, that's how this soundtrack basically infiltrated the culture of America at that point. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Do you have anything to add to the basic facts of the soundtrack? Brian, we'll start with you. No, you you added everything, and I would say the one thing with Dean Pitchford is he actually co-wrote the title track to Fame, the musical that was released in 1980. So I think he kind of got to start there, and then, as you said, once photos took off, I mean, again, the guy never had to work again. This is so big, not not just the soundtrack, but the movie as well. So. Yeah. Sonny, do you have any uh, basic facts you want to add to all this? Yeah, a couple of things. So one, Pitchford also co-wrote You Should Hear How She Talks About You by <laughs> Melissa Manchester. 
Remember that song? You should hear how she talks about you. You don't remember that? Who sings it? Uh, Melissa Manchester. Well, well, let's let her sing it, okay? Oh, my God. Dude, whatever. <laughs> so this this album got a little bit unlucky, and then it did really well. So the unlucky part, it had to fight thriller, sports, <laughs> 1984. Like, there were some major, major albums this album was fighting. It did get to number one. Hit number one on April 22nd of 84 when it passed Thriller. It got unseated on June 29th. So it was number one for nine weeks before it got unseated by sports. Wow. So, and what happened to 1984? 1984 was number two when it was number one, when Thriller was number one. And then the next week, Footloose was number one and 84 was still stuck at two. <laughs> they never got the number one, right? So very interesting. Because eighty four, Van Halen's eighty four was released in January eighty four. That's right, so right That's right. at the same time. Yeah, and luckily Thriller was dying off a little bit, right? Because they'd already been out almost a year. So, so yeah, very very interesting thing. I think the producers, why there's so many, I can only think of two reasons. One, although Pitchford helped co-write everything, everybody went into their own studios and recorded the songs and then sent them in. So then you would have had your own producing credit because you're in your own studios. Or he set up studio time at X studio and Sammy Hagar's there for two days doing his thing. He takes it from soup to nuts. He leaves. Kenny Loggins comes in. Does mm-hmm. a week and a half, takes it from soup to nuts. He leaves. My guess is it probably got farmed out to different studios. That would be yeah. my guess. I believe from watching the special features on, on the movie, that's exactly what they did. Uh, one of the things I, I can add is, you know, the studios at the time, they didn't think there were any hits from the demos that were being sent to them, which, I mean, seven out of nine, they were obviously wrong. So they thought everything should be bouncy like Flashdance because yeah. that's that, that's kind of the gold center at that point because it was released a year prior. So it's unbelievable how these supposed smart people were totally wrong here. And, uh, you know, Ultimately, they let Dean Pitchford do his thing, and, and it came out amazing. Because I think once they heard the final songs, then they're like, okay, we were wrong. We can't go by the demos. You have a hit on your hand. So He's a rebel with a cause. In a town without a clue. Is there a log is loud music? Now. You want to kiss me? He's got him dancing in the street. I don't know what provoked this outburst, but I don't like it. Kevin Bacon, Lori Singer, and John Lithgow. Footloose on USA. Tomorrow night at 8, 7 Central. Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Growing Up Rock, and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like and leave us a comment on Facebook at Growing Up Rock. Yeah, so uh, if there's nothing else to add, I think we turn it over to Reverend Moore there and let's go track by track. What do you think? (laughs) (laughs) All right. So first track is Footloose. Now, just to give you an idea of where the artist was who sang the song at this point. So Kenny's on a roll at this point. He had uh, nine Billboard 100 hits from 77 to 83. He had a huge hit with All Right from the Caddyshack uh, movie that had already been there, that hit number seven. And then this song, Footloose, was number one from March 31st of 84 to April 14th of 84 on the Billboard 100. And the song opens the movie, and you hear it a couple more times throughout the movie. Ryan, your thoughts on Footloose? This had to be the first Kenny Loggins song I ever heard. Because I don't remember hearing Loggins Messina from my parents. So right off the bat, I get this. You know, eventually I'd hear I'm All Right, like you said, from Caddyshack. And then two years later, he's going to have probably his biggest hit with Danger Zone from Top Gun. I mean, he was the icon for 80s movie soundtracks. He also had a song in Rocky IV, uh, Over the Top, and Caddyshack 2, which avoid Caddyshack 2, but the song's okay. Yeah, Sonny alluded to it. You know a song's going to be the centerpiece when it bookends the film. 
it was in the beginning with that iconic scene where you see the various dancers and you only see their shoes, which is great. To this day, it's 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 one of the best intros to a movie. And then it's playing in the final dancing. It's also in the when they go across the uh, state line to go to the dance bar. So it plays three times. It's a big song. I love the song as a kid. I still enjoy it today. It perfectly captures the fun of 80s teen movies. And I can do the Kevin Bacon dance when they start doing everybody cut, everybody cut. You know, it doesn't take much. You just do it kind of line dancing as, as ridiculous as possible. And look, my dancing might be ridiculous, but it's no more ridiculous than having, you know, a producer think we can remake this in 2011 as a country movie. But I digress. In any case, again, song's great. Ending scene, having these people who have never danced before turn into master dancers just from hearing Footloose is, is terrific. So, yeah, I love this song. Steven, definitely a recognizable riff. There's no doubt about that, right? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, by this time, I was already a Kenny Loggins fan because of Caddyshack. And- you're old. Because you're old. Because you're old. <laughs> that too. Thanks so much for pointing that out. I'm that much closer to death because of it, you a-hole. Anyway, <laughs> I enjoy this song. Uh, how can you not dance and smile when this song comes on? It's just a fun song. And and he had to, I mean, my guess is he had to write this for the movie. My guess is the movie was already done before this song was written. And uh, he was tasked with writing this song for the movie specifically. Since this is a crossover episode, I'm going to I'm going to pull something out from the damn good movies part. Uh, you should say R.I. A-hole. That, that should be our new if you <laughs> yeah. want to do that. The problem is you'll say I-R-A-hole. Yeah. <laughs> I-R-A-hole. I-R-A-hole. It's all these damn uh, acronyms. Acronyms. Thank you. God, I was, I was freezing on that. But yeah, all these acronyms. It's hard enough to say uh, D-G-M-M. <laughs> That's true. And it's hard enough to say damn good movie memories quickly. So <laughs> I know that that's I, we're here for the, the tongue dexterity. That's that's all I'm here for. Growing up yeah. rock, we keep it super simple and super stupid and just say grr. It sounds grr. Like, <laughs> grr, like a pirate acronym. <laughs> that would be R, not grr. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's modern day. <laughs> OK, got it. All right, so the second track, let's hear it for the boy. Uh, song went number one on May 26th, 84. It replaced Hello by Lionel Richie. Great song, by the way. 
and then it was number one for two weeks, and then it got replaced by Time After Time by Cyndi Lauper. So we're talking about some of the biggest hits of my childhood, and this thing was part of it. Uh, Denise had already had a number one hit in 1978 called Too Much, Too Little, Too Late with a duet with Johnny Mathis because she released a couple of albums with Johnny Mathis. And she had three gold albums before even doing this song. So she was already somebody, since we're talking about 1978, of course, Stephen was 28 by then, so he already knew who Denise Williams was. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, your thoughts on Let's Hear It for the Boy. Well, this is why I love the 80s. And you mentioned like all those, those are iconic hits, like just yeah. in 1984. I just, I love pop music from the 80s. When you hear just the intro to this, you know it's immediately from the 80s. It dates itself. I, I think it's in a good way. You know, the electronic drum beats, the synthesizer, it's a fun song. I never skip it. I don't think it holds up as well as some of the other songs on the soundtrack, but that being said, uh, Sonny mentioned it. It's a huge hit. It was number one on the dance chart. Huge hook, uh, great chorus. And in the movie, it's a great scene because this is where Kevin Bacon's character, Ren, is teaching Willard, who is Chris Penn, John Penn's brother, how to dance. And so you get this great montage that the 80s are, are terrific at. And then in a little over four minutes, he goes to from being a lumbering oaf, two left feet, and he's a pretty damn respectable dancer. And that's what, you know, let's hear it for the boy, you know? And we had a little text conversation before we started recording, you know, a day or so ago. And one of the songs we were talking about, we were, we'll, we'll get into it, but the song that's playing when they film this is Somebody's Eyes. They went back and put in Let's Hear it for the Boy, which when we get Somebody's Eyes, you, you're going to wonder like how that's movie magic because that song does not sync up to, you know, this kind of dancing. So I, I think that's that's the amazing part of post-production for movies. And also, according to legend, Denise Williams recorded her vocals in only 20 minutes for this. So, wow. man, it's got to be one of her biggest hits, too. Much to say. 
Stephen, that synth bass line, that doom, 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 that, I mean, recognizable the minute it comes on. I know exactly what song it is. How about you? Oh, yeah, completely. So Sonny and I have talked about this in the past. I think we even got an episode floating around out there about how we put playlists together to entice our wives right because i can't i can't throw metallica megadeth and uh heat and eclipse at my wife only so i have to i have to layer in some other stuff and 80s is a good place to layer in some stuff because there's some very recognizable hits from the 80s that are not hard rock and metal so it's good mixture my playlists are very diverse they'll have everything from country to rock and roll to old school hip-hop things like that so this song shows up on my playlist often for the weekend i love this song it's a fantastic song third song almost paradise duet with mike reno and ann wilson this song peaked at number seven lover boys already got three albums under their belt so they're headed for superstardom, honestly, because the next album's even bigger. Hearts already had a ton of success. They're kind of lulling a little bit, but then the 1985 album is about to come. That's going to put them seriously back on the map. So these guys are no slouches by any means. Brian, before I get your take on the song, and mm-hmm. I know you're going to share it with us when you first heard it, it sounded like the music box that Ariel gave Ren was also playing this song. Did you get that? I did too. I'm glad you you pointed that out because I, I think there's a total nod to that. I think that's great. I love when movies do that. And then there's sometimes whether you hear it in an elevator or again, music box, like you said, I think that's really, I think sometimes producers and directors do that for themselves. And, you know, they put in these little Easter eggs. Uh, and then when, when the movie fan gets it, it becomes even, even better. That's a great call out, Sonny. What'd you think of the song? So what's interesting, I'm surprised you didn't mention, this is actually written by Eric Carmen, who was in the Raspberries. Yep. Uh, and a lot of people know him because he had a huge hit a couple years later in Dirty Dancing for Hungry Eyes. And you still hear that in commercials and, and things like that. And so, look, Mike Reno is in Loverboy. They're at the top of their game. As you had mentioned with Ann Wilson and Hart, they're kind of in limbo right now. So I think, I really think this song being a ballad had everything to do with what came out next. I, I think it really transitioned there to a more 80s pop sheen, whether she likes it or not. But I, I think people forget about this song, and I think it had everything to do with it. It's a sappy 80s ballad, as you get. I love it for some reason. I think it's mostly because of Ann Wilson's voice, because I think she could sing anything, and I'd be down for it. So I think the great part about this is it's really a true duet, because they were in the same studio together singing face-to-face. I think you can tell. It's, they're not in separate studios. They're not just you know piping it in and, and dubbing it in. I, I think that's why it works, because you know the emotion of the vocals worked, because uh, they weren't in, in separate locations. And so if you're wondering where this plays during the film, it's when everyone in the, at the end is kind of too afraid to, and shy to dance. And then that's when Laurie Singer arrives and Kevin Bacon shows up after. Stephen had mentioned this. They had just got into a fist fight, <laughs> and he's completely clean and everything, and Actually, no, no, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. So that came later. Actually, I think he he comes back and then does Let's Dance. In any case, nobody's dancing. You need Laurie Singer and, and Ren to, to kind of dance and they slow dance and, and they get some people to dance. So, yes, Almost Paradise, I think. Very, very good song. Love theme from Footloose.
Stephen, what I thought was interesting is, so you got Reno and you got Al and Wilson, two of the best singers, honestly, of the 80s, possibly uh, some of the best singers of all time, really, in that genre of music. Number one, their third voice that they create when they sing together is incredible. But the other part is, I don't know if you noticed, Stephen, Reno was doing the high parts. <laughs> I didn't notice that, but that is interesting that you point that out now that I think about it. Yeah, that's crazy because... <laughs> You know, why? I wonder why. Maybe it just maybe they tried it both ways and it just sounded better. Uh, And I can see that it's a little bit more pleasing to the ear. Yeah, this this song is one of those songs where I would like to say I hate it because it's a ballad and it is super (laughs) sappy. But the honest truth is just a well written song. And who doesn't think of couples skating at the roller ring when this song comes on? If you're a young kid growing up in the 80s, uh, you got to think about that a little bit. So, yeah, I mean, look, it's a ballad, but it's a well-done ballad. And I like uh, both Reno and Ann Wilson, so it's good. And Keith Olsen actually produced this song, and he had done, I guess, Hart's late album at the time, but I guess it was Passion Works in 83. So maybe that's why Ann Wilson went with him. So mm-hmm. that, that kind of makes sense. Yeah. Fourth song on the soundtrack, Holding Out for a Hero, Bonnie Tyler singing. Bonnie Tyler had just got off of Eclipse of the Heart. She had a number one hit a year earlier. This song peaked at number 34. It's a little musical theater type of a song. Uh, Brian, what'd you think about it? True. I, I definitely agree. But it's my second, maybe third favorite song on the album, depending on my mood. I think it's also the best scene in the movie because it, it's a tractor scene. It's where Kevin Bacon and Ariel's then boyfriend, Chuck, who is played by Jim Youngs, they're playing chicken. Tractor chicken. I mean, come on. How country can you get? So it's great. Uh, of course, Kevin Bacon, if you've seen the movie, it is his shoelace gets stuck on the gas. So he has to go forward because he can't even jump off. So it's great. And if you go back and watch, I think Jim Young's the guy who plays Chuck. He, I thought he looked exactly like David Coverdale back in the day. He kind of had that look. I think he, if he, a young David Coverdale, of course. I think the song's perfect for the scene because that driving beat. It does have the musical theater, but it has that beat that keeps building and building and building until you get that satisfying payoff. And again, besides Total Eclipse of the Heart, which is of course Bonnie Tyler's biggest hit, I think this is her second biggest hit. And she had to be smoking ten packs a day, like Kathy, you know, with Kathleen Turner to get a voice this raspy and smoky and everything and uh, i think also what's forgotten is you can hear the piano in this it goes along perfectly with the synths i I, this is a great song 
Yeah, Stephen, what's interesting, I was thinking two things. First, I was thinking that, ooh, ah, uh, I'm like, Stephen fucking hates that, guaranteed. <laughs> and then the second thing I was thinking is that raft that Bonnie Tyler has, it sounds so angry that it feels like if you don't get a hero, we're all screwed. So, Stephen, what'd you think of the song? <laughs> this song has Jen Stein written all over it completely. Yep. And you do often, you kind of forget about this Bonnie Tyler song because of the size of Eclipse of the Heart. So I think oftentimes you do forget this was also Bonnie Tyler. And it's exactly what Brian said, which was how much more country do you get that appealed to some idiot producer in 2011 to redo the movie as a country movie. That's why. Way to go, Brian. (laughs) (laughs) But but the song, but what's ironic is they're doing something very country, but the song is not country at all. That's just like dance pop almost. No, but this movie, when you think about it, this movie has a lot lot of country written all over it and somebody yep. saw that oh, yeah. and that's why they decided to do it with country music because this movie you know it just has country written all over it but anyway yeah the song is uh i love my female singers with the raspy voice i really love that quality that smoky feeling just sounds really pleasing to my ear and very rock and roll even though this song isn't a rock and roll song it's just very rock and roll it's sort of a little janice uh, mixed in, you know, that rasp that she had with the uh, clean qualities as well, because it's a mixture of the two. And this is a great song. It was a great, it's a great scene as well. Oh, I used to always get her confused as a kid with Kim Carnes. Yeah. Kim Carnes had had that raspy. She was on the Flashdance soundtrack. She, of course, had Betty Davis eyes. So, Very much yeah. so. Yeah. Yep. So fifth song on the soundtrack, Dancing in the Sheets by Shalimar. Some people believe this is what introduced Shalimar. That's actually not true. Mm-hmm. This song stalled at number 17. But Shalimar had already had a couple of top 40 hits, and they already had three gold albums by the time they get to this. Now, Lithgow has a serious problem with this song, but Brian, what do you think about the song? <laughs> well, what's interesting about the history of Shalimar is they were big in the UK, I think, in the late 70s. Jody Watley was in the original version of Shalimar. Now, she had been, I think, gone by the time this came out. But in the movie, it plays like a cheap music video. I mean, like an early music video. They, you know, kind of like, hey, we got this great song. Let's feature it. We'll just turn on a boombox outside of a diner and uh, everyone will start dancing to Shalimar. Great, let's do it. And so as a six or seven-year-old, when I finally saw the movie, because it was a couple years after hearing this song, I had absolutely no idea what the title really meant. I, I just probably took it literally like, hey, people are dancing around in the sheets, like bed sheets are jumping on the bed. Like, oh, That's yeah. what my parents are doing. Exactly. <laughs> so, Oh, the innocence, you know, but it's a fun R&B track from the 80s. And I like the crossover appeal to this. This is what the 80s used to be great at because you had a pretty hard rocking guitar solo in the middle of it. I don't see that happening in R&B music today at all. And we kind of touched upon this. I think Steven's going to bring it up. There is a lot of Prince in this song, specifically 1999. I can totally hear it. So I don't know if I heard it at the time, but over the years, I, I definitely heard it. Thank you. 
Yeah, Stephen, uh, first, I was like, okay, if Stephen doesn't know who El DeBarge is, there's no way he knows who the hell Shalimar is. So that was one thing I was thinking. And then second, yeah, I thought it had hints of 1999, but then Eddie Murphy ends up using it a year later in Party All the Time. So 1999 kind of got nicked twice. Stephen, what do you think about Dancing in the Sheets? Because I know Jen is really upset you don't do it often enough, but I'm talking about the song. <laughs> I'm going to leave that one alone, but yeah, <laughs> Shalimar. Yeah, I love Shalimar. And part of the reason that I love him is the rock guitar element that somebody like Mickey Free brings to the band. And Mickey Free ended up working on Beverly Hills Cop as well. So yep. there's your connection to Eddie Murphy in this song. You know, Mickey Free, I've always respected him a lot like I respect uh, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis because they bring a lot of the rock element to the R&B stuff like The Time and Prince and all that stuff that's intertwined with its R&B and but they also inject that rock guitar in there that really just kind of makes it cross over. And I love it. I love the song. My point is the same as it was over there at Damn Good Movie Memories, which is you smuggled in tapes and you're playing it at In-N-Out Burger or whatever the restaurant is called there. And the best you got is Shalimar dancing in the sheets. Come on. Come on. There's nothing that's rebel about this song, but it is a, a great song. <laughs> To the preacher, it was. To the preacher, this this is he had a whole sermon from just this song, probably. Yeah, and dancing in the sheets. I'm with you, Brian. I had no idea what dancing <laughs> in the sheets was at the time. Were, were you hip, Sonny? Did you know? Oh hell no! Are you <laughs> kidding me? No way. <laughs> um, all right, sixth song on the soundtrack. Second Kenny Loggins tune. Um, Free heaven helps the man. Stalled at number twenty-two on the Billboard 100. And uh, you know that the guitar solo is short. But I liked it. Brian, how did you think this song came off? 
Well, I think, you know, Kenny Loggins is so badass at this point, he gets two songs on the soundtrack. So I think that that says everything. And rightfully so. This isn't as good as the title track. It can't be. I mean, the title track had to be awesome to work. But I think uh, I'm Free is pretty strong. And of course, when when Kenny Loggins is involved in the film, a montage has to happen. And that's when this song comes up. It's when they finally get approval to have their dance. And so you get everyone putting up the party favors around the mill and everyone in town is putting up the decorations and and, uh, where the dance is going to be held. And it's a good, it's an upbeat track, awesome hook because Kenny Loggins is just a a master songwriter. And so he really knows uh, how to write a good quality song. And, and I think people kind of forget about this one because Footloose is so big and danger zone. And I, I'm, uh, I'm all right. So, but this one, this one's in there. I mean, it's, 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 I think top tier for him. Yeah, Stephen, to me, this song on this soundtrack kind of comes off meh to me. But Hmm. the chorus is unique. So after saying I'm free, if he didn't have that heaven helps the man piece in there, I'm thinking the chorus wouldn't have been great too. Stephen, what do you think about this song? I love it. There's something about Kenny Loggins' soundtrack songs that I just love. I love it. I mean, and I'm with Brian where it falls in line with all the rest of the shit that he's known for in movie soundtracks. It's right in there. I like the quiet intro kind of building. The baseline. Yeah, Yeah. just the building uh, quiet intro and it builds in the song. He knows how to really build a song with these epic courses and stuff. And and can anybody on this podcast honestly say they don't enjoy an 80s montage? Come on. (laughs) Everybody enjoys an 80s montage. Good Lord. 
Mr. Ski Instructor, I need a lot of training fast. I'm going to race down the K-13. The K-13? But you're just a beginner. If you ski out of your league, you're going to have a bad time. I have to do this, okay? I have to. All right, well, if you got to get good at something really fast, there's only one way to do it. Come on! Yeah, I mean, and those started in the 70s because of Stallone, because of Rocky. Yeah. And it hasn't stopped. Like, he's basically, like, it, it's, it, it made, he could do a master class just in the 80s. Because like, I think music videos are basically montages. That's all they are. So, yeah, I think what the montage does for you is it allows the director to add to the story, storylines, and mo- possibly plug some holes. Yep. Without having to spend minutes and minutes and minutes on it. It's basically 10 seconds. Of, oh, that's what happened with that. Yeah, four pages of dialogue can be done in, in yeah. a montage. So the seventh song on the soundtrack, Somebody's Eyes, Carla Bonoff singing this song. So Carla sounds good. She'd already had a top 20 hit in 1982. She'd already had three top 60 albums from 77 to 82. So Carla's not new here. Brian, this song does not hold up to the others. I'm sorry. Your You're- thoughts? Totally right. This is a song everyone forgets, and for good reason. It's not that memorable. It's buried in the movie, and if you're not paying attention, you'll miss it. It's playing after Ariel and Chuck, which is the the boyfriend in the beginning. They're fooling around in the woods. She's getting dressed, and they're kind of talking about you know how she's looking to get out of the small town and everything and whatnot. And that's playing in the background. I mentioned with "Let's Hear for the Boy." I think they thought this was going to be a standout track for whatever reason, because it was supposed to be part of the, the Willard Wren scene, but it wasn't, it was, it just, it wasn't. And I think it was just buried in the mix. And, and we had mentioned one of the famous producers, whether it be Max Norman or Tom Warman, you know, you put your weakest song, either as the, the second to last song or the third to last song. And, and I think that's what they did here. She's gonna find the boy 
Yeah, when I first heard the song, I'm like, oh, this must be a newer songwriter. Because what used to happen in some of these movie soundtracks is somebody would either pay to be on the soundtrack or a record company would break a new artist, right? Especially if this is going to be a Columbia, they got a new songwriter, whatever. It's like, all right, we're going to give you a shot here. But then when you see as Tom Snow and he wrote, let's hear it for the boy, this is Tom Snow's fault. It's just a shitty song. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> Stephen, what do you think? Uh, if all the stuff that Brian just shared with us where the song was supposed to be a featured song and they yeah. changed it, my guess is this was one of the first and earlier songs that was submitted to the soundtrack. And when all the rest of the material started coming in, probably Pitchford said, uh, yeah, this song does not stand up to the rest of the material and we got to bury this song. And that's what they did. They buried it in the movie and they buried it on the soundtrack. And with good reason, because to me, this song is very, very meh. And Sonny brings up a good point about soundtracks. that It's worth bringing up across the board for all soundtracks. Whoever, whatever record company usually released it back in the day, there's a reason why certain artists are actually on the soundtrack, and that's because they're on the same label. I remember with Ghostbusters, there's some filler like hell on that, and it's simply because whatever artist at the time was on that particular record label. And I think this, I believe, Carl Bonoff, yeah, she was on Columbia, and that's yeah. why they included her too. Okay, so eighth song to the original soundtrack, Girl Gets Around by Sammy Hagar. So at this point, Sammy Hagar is a red rocker. He is not the tequila-drinking beach bum that he becomes later sammy's had a bunch of solo success heavy metal's already out there so that's already happened he released three lock box this year and then the following year is when he released voa and really kind of hit mtv and really started uh after going to van halen becoming huge i know you're not a huge sammy fan brian but what did you think about this song so th- this is probably the first sammy hagar uh song i heard because it's just like kenny Loggins, and i always like the scene where this is played uh what's interesting and i found out after doing some research, it was on the, the DVD, but Hagar wasn't really used to writing songs in a restrictive way. So Dean Pitchford had already written the lyrics to Girl Gets Around. He asked Hagar to kind of come up with the music based on a scene that was already shot, which was the Laurie Singer scene, when she's basically has a death wish. She's balancing on two cars at the same time. And so what Pitchford did is he put a timestamp on the film and then gave Hagar notes about what to include musically. And so S- Sammy said at the time he wasn't used to doing stuff like this, even though he had written a, you know, the song Heavy Metal. But he probably wrote that you know, on his own and it just fit. And uh, I think he, he admitted this kind of broadened his musical horizons, you know, being kind of restrictive, working with a partner. I think it, it's a it's a pretty standard hard rock song for the time for 84. If you listen to the guitar riff and everything. And it fits the movie. I don't mind the song, to be honest. I, th- I think it fits the vibe. But I think there's a better hard rock song that I think we're going to talk about. That could have been included here, and I'll explain why. I think the song Heavy Metal is by far Sammy's best soundtrack song. I think this is the second one, but he does a few other soundtracks. on. He did one on Vision Quest and Over Top, and those songs are terrible for me.
Yeah, for me, Sammy can be hit and miss. Those first four or five albums are littered with songs that are great. There's some meh, and there's some I'm trying to forget even exist. Like <laughs> just Sammy, when he misses, he misses big. This yeah. one's probably more in the meh. I don't think I ever go back to this song at all. And to me, I'm with Brian. I don't think it's really heavy or hard enough for the scene that matched it. Right. Steven, what do you think about this song? Well, this is the close that growing up rock comes to a uh, rock and tune in this movie. So sure. pretty, pretty much, I mean, unless you're going to include one of the songs we'll talk about later that's not on the soundtrack. But I love this song. This song is right in line with Standing Hampton and the feel of Standing Hampton, which was my first Sammy record. So I dig it. And I think it fits the scene really well because you know they're basically painting the picture of ariel being this wannabe rebel girl that you know somewhat as we talked about in the movie recap you know how she sort of had a death wish to a point and so i think the song fits nicely i'm really surprised that sammy didn't write the lyrics to this because they totally sound like sammy lyrics to me mm -hmm. i mean it seems like a sammy song for the time so i would have never known that dean pitchford wrote the lyrics to this song but i like it i like this song it reminds me a lot of the sammy song that he did in fast times at ridgemont mm. high which was called fast times at ridgemont high i think the name of the song was right that's true. I forgot about that. That's true. And, and that came out in 82. I think maybe that's why they picked Sammy Hagar, because I think those lyrics kind of fit his style a little bit, too. OK, so the final song on the original soundtrack, and then we're going to get to the songs that were on the 15th anniversary. It's called Never, done by a band called Moving Pictures. So Moving Pictures is an Australian band. I will tell you, I got no issue with the sax solo start. <laughs> this band says they were never paid royalties on this song. I'm telling you, they didn't fucking deserve them. This is one of the worst songs <laughs> in recorded history oh, how it made this album is unbelievable to me i would have thrown this out the minute i heard the chorus brian i know you love this song and you're just wrong for it <laughs> so yes it is my favorite song on the album i have always loved it and to rebut sonny pooney look it's been documented that he loves disturbed they make monkey noises. He likes <laughs> monkey noises. So a little never, 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 ever, never. That doesn't oh hurt anyone. But why? Screw that. <laughs> I love Sonny, but we're going to disagree on this one. Uh, the song's great. I love the scene because it's incredibly cheesy. Kevin Bacon, his stunt double, actually, is running around an empty warehouse doing gymnastics better than some Olympians. It's amazing. I get it. I think it's a, it's a great song because it's adrenaline. I love the 80s adrenaline. It's upbeat. It's right up there for You're the Best and the Karate Kid. It's got that vibe. Sonny had mentioned they, these guys didn't have any hits in the U.S. besides this one. They did have a minor hit called What About Me in Australia. But this it, it's funny. I, it, it is dated. It's got kind of a let's hear for the boy synth. And so I get that. But again, I've, as a kid, I loved it. Maybe because as a kid, never, never, never sounded like a good soundtrack or a good uh, chorus. But yeah, that's OK. We can't agree on everything. It's OK, Sonny. Love, love, love is on the 
Yeah, Stephen, you know, listening to this as seven years old, it sounds like a seven-year-old wrote it. Never, 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 <laughs> ever, ever, never, ever. Songs, Baruto. The scene is Baruto. <laughs> Everything about this song, it should have been on the cutting room floor. Stephen, tell me you do not like this song. Brian, how dare you compare this song to You're the Best? There you go. There you go. <laughs> do not ever do that. That's unbelievable. Yeah, so... <laughs> This, oh my God. I, I thought you were actually kidding when you said it was your favorite no, song on the album. I love it. Holy love crap, Ola. Okay. Let's start with. Uh, you guys should be thanking me. You finally agree on something. <laughs> Let's start with when I'm a rebel and pissed off at the world. The first thing I want to do is put on the song Never and jump around to Empty Warehouse. That's, <laughs> that's showing them. I'll moonwalk <laughs> all up and down your ass, by golly. That's the first wait, thing. Wait. Do you like Beat It from uh, Michael Jackson? Yes, of course. Oh, do you like the music video? Yes. Yes. Okay. Is no, it a better but, song? Yeah. Oh, absolutely <laughs> a better song. No question. But the video is just, I mean, uh, there's there's no rebel in that movie or in that, that music video at all. We're talking about know? a movie, not a video, though. But, I know. I'm giving it to you, though. <laughs> but So it, it, the one thing I would say is you guys, uh, both of you guys seen Boogie Nights. Yes. Oh, of course. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, over and over yeah. and over a great movie. So, <laughs> you know, the scene where, uh, he and, uh, his buddy are recording an eighties tune because now they want to be musicians and they're recording yep. this super freaking cheesy, just unbelievably cheesy. Me- that's this song. No, that song was better. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Derek, you ready? Yeah, I was born ready. Nick, let's go, man. Derek Diggler demo Keep the vocals up. You got the touch. Take seven. You got the touch. You got the power. Yeah! Oh, God, I wish I could remember the lyrics to that tune that they were singing. It's hilarious. But anyway, uh, yeah, it's just really, really cheesy. And to me, it's okay that it's cheesy because this was an 84 movie. And I already pointed out that there were various cheesy portions in this movie rewatching it. But this song to me isn't a well-written song to me personally. It just doesn't seem some pop cheese is really a well-written song. And I think there's some of that on this uh, soundtrack, but this song is not one of them. I, I don't love this song. Now, I don't hate it as bad as Sonny probably, but I don't love it either. So you guys, so you guys like somebody's eyes more than this? No. Yes. Okay. No, yes. but Sunny, Sunny does. Yeah, no, not not for me, not at all. We'll get to that, but no. Okay. <laughs> all right. So the 15th anniversary dropped in four other songs. One was an extended mix of a song that was already on the soundtrack, but the other three were the actual songs that did not make the original soundtrack, probably for a variety of reasons. It's very interesting that one song's from '81, one's from '82, and one's from '83. Yep. It's very interesting that they were all hits. So my guess is, is that when they are making this movie, they don't know 
they have an album that's going to sell 9 million copies. So they got to have people make it, you know, pay attention. Mm-hmm. So they use some music that people possibly already know. And the first song on that 15th anniversary release was Bangerhead Metal Health by Quiet Riot. So Quiet Riot's coming off their number one album. It, it hit number one in 1983. This hit stalled at number 31. But great song. And it's all about we're driving into school and this is blasting from the speakers. You you got to like this song. You're a metal guy, right, Brian? This got to be a great song. Absolutely. This might have been the first heavy metal song I really heard, you know, in the film once I heard it. And I think part of the reason I that this the, these three songs didn't make it is probably the record label, as we were talking about. There might have been rights issues. The other issue is they're the three songs that Dean Pitchford didn't write. So maybe there was something where, you know, Pitchford had to be. Uh, part of it because he also was the screenwriter yeah i did again this is a song i was alluding to for the sammy hagar song i think this would have been the perfect song to play during the scene where ariel's balancing because mental health and mental health i mean she's nuts at that time so i think that would have totally livened up that scene even more but the actual scene it's playing is when they're in a small town kevin bacon's driving his little volkswagen bug with chris penn and he's just blaring this song through the speakers and you know kevin dubrow he's got that perfectly obnoxious voice where if you hate heavy metal and you're picketing concerts and everything and you hear him screaming metal hell this is perfect it's so over the top i love it and uh i wish it was used more uh in the film and, and actually this version it's about a minute and a half uh shorter than the album version so which is kind of interesting steven i know your feelings about quiet right i think i have the same ones when they hit man they hit when they miss man they miss <laughs> they don't really have a bunch of man steven your thoughts on this song yeah well this is one of the hits right this is one of the songs that i think we all appreciate it's a it's a good song. It's a fun song. They actually play this song twice in the movie. So they play it once when he pulls up to the school with it blaring, mm-hmm. where he's yep. by himself, and it's his introduction to his classmates, his his mm-hmm. soon-to-be classmates. And then again, like you pointed out, Brian, he plays it when uh, he and um, uh, Willard are filling up the gas tank. They get pulled over by the cop, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And that's where the great line, uh, you like men at work. Yeah, you yeah. like the police, and yep. then the police are right behind him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. I mean, look, it's good product placement. It's perfect for the time. I got no issues with it, and it's one of the better Quiet Riot songs, I think. Hey, real quick before we go further, let me ask you guys real quick. I'm gonna take just a small detour, real quick. Your feelings on Rudy Sarzo joining Quiet Riot back? How do you feel about that? You think that brings any validity to the band? Yes or no? Ah. <sighs> I'm going to say no. I, I I think it's really sad, actually, because they're trying to keep something that should have been buried. I mean, I, I, I do you buy into that. This was Frankie Benali's last wish to keep it going or something like that, because that, that's what Rudy's kind of alluding to. I think it may not his last wish, but I think it was something that he may have discussed with his wife, Regina, who manages the band and mm-hmm. Rudy. So, yes, I think that it is something that they've could have been discussing for a while because I know Rudy and and Frankie were on talking terms. Uh, mm-hmm. So I believe that. What about you, Sonny? Uh, validity. Yeah. The validity of this band died when Kevin Dubrow died. Yeah. Yeah. OK. And it's fucking Frankie Benali. Come on. He's a fucking drummer, right? <laughs> you could have replaced him with anybody. Nobody would have known the difference. Yo, yo, yo got a gift, my friend. Yo got a gift. Oh, yeah. God bless you. You got a fucking gift. No, I don't. Yes, you do. I really oh, don't. Yes, you do. I'm sorry, all drummers, but I'm sorry that I don't buy Dubrow on his deathbed telling Benali, go on without me. And the- <laughs> oh, I don't think it's on his deathbed, Sarzo, go on without me. I think what this is, is there's a brand name out there and somebody's got to make money on it. That's all yeah. this is. 
What, yeah. What? So, so I take it you didn't like Bobby Blotzer's rat? No, <laughs> no, that was <laughs> the like biggest Stephen joke. Pierce's rat. Oh yeah, <laughs> I know that's true. It's always growing up rocks point to bust on drummers and bass players. We usually, <laughs> I think, we've created a disclaimer that we can insert somewhere just for that very reason because uh, we've insulted more uh, drummers and bass players over the course of time than I care to shake a fist at, but. <laughs> So that's the thing. I, Rudy seems like such a nice, genuine guy. It's hard not to root for him. But yeah, in this case, it's it's I I don't get it. Well, it's exactly what Sonny said, which is there's money to be made and somebody can keep the legacy going. And so they're going to keep the legacy going. And and if they didn't, let's be honest, then Carlos Cavazo would probably try to be out there doing Carlos Cavazo's Quiet Riot. I sure. think I think if if they really wanted to do it, it would be much better if they could get Carlos together with uh, Rudy, then you at least got half the uh, classic lineup, right? Uh, and exactly. Do, do half the classic lineup and that's better than nothing. But uh, for whatever reason, there's something going on between Cavazzo and the uh, Benali estate and has been going on for a while because that's the only thing I can think of of why he doesn't return to the fold because he sure ain't doing nothing else on his own. No, and it's funny you mentioned because we're gonna we're gonna be talking about Foreigner. Foreigner did this <laughs> is is the blueprint now for nobody's original in the band left. You know, I divert. I'm sorry, Sonny. I'll turn that nope. back over to you. Yeah, you're good. So, second song on this uh, 15th anniversary edition, "Hurt So Good" by John Mellencamp from 1982. By the way, this is my go-to karaoke track uh, when I'm out <laughs> and about. Uh, I love this song. It stalled at number two, so I'm gonna give each one of you one guess on what song could it not beat out when it was number two? Remember, it's 1982, and I will give you a hint that it was also a song on a movie soundtrack. I'll give Brian the first guess. Oof. 1982. What was, I don't know. 100. Oh. <laughs> Can you tell me who's in the movie? With that, no, that might, I can't okay. because that'll okay. give it away. This is a shot in the dark. Uh, I'm going to say Eye of the Tiger. And Stephen, what do you say? That was a really good guess. I don't know what you're... I don't know. I, I'm all right. <laughs> so Eye of the Tiger was correct. The only reason I came to is 82 in the Rocky Three. Yeah, That's right. That's right. So Eye of the Tiger is at number one and Hurt So Good can't get past it. Brian, what do you think about this song? Because the first time we hear it is at the club. Absolutely. And, and yeah, same same reason. This is a tried and true hit. It's perfect. What a great dance song, but it's also a rock song. So it's it's kind of that perfect upbeat uh, vibe and, and I've always loved John Mellencamp, John Cougar, Johnny Tiger, Johnny, Johnny Hoopastank, whatever he calls himself. <laughs> I, 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 I just think he's he's a great. I prefer him towards you know like Bruce Springsteen. I like his roots style, and I think his '80s albums are are great. And as you mentioned, this is in the bar and and, and everything, and you can actually see Ren and Ariel finally together dancing, or they can kind of get down and get funky and everything, and uh, just great catchy rock song maybe it's played out for some people because it is still on classic rock radio but it's also a cool part of the movie i think it's it's cool they included it yeah steven i know you're a johnny cougar fan <laughs> yeah i'm with uh brian i like john cougar uh music uh, a little bit better than bruce springsteen stuff yeah it's a good tune it's uh i think i like some of his other stuff but this was one of his earlier tunes this was when he was john cougar i think at the yep. time that he recorded this so yeah this and um, Jack and Diane were on the same album. Correct. Yeah, that that, yeah, that was yeah. that was his big breakout. Yeah. I think it came out in '82. As I think ha Hand to Hold On To is on that album too. I believe so. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. So the third song on this 15th anniversary album is "Waiting for a Girl Like You" by Foreigner, 1981. Love it. This also stalled at number two. Had two chances, but two different songs passed it in 1981. One was a woman, 
and one was a group. Brian, I'll give you a shot. Can you name either song that okay. would have been number one instead? I think because I kind of reference, I'm gonna I'm gonna say Betty Davis eyes. Was that was that it? Okay, and uh, okay. Stephen, I'm gonna give you a guess. Either one. Uh, what year was this? Eighty one. Eighty one. I don't know. I'm not good with dates. <laughs> so it had two shots. It stalled at number two when physical was number oh, one. Oh, Newton John. Yeah. yeah. And then it had another shot because physical dropped off, and then I can't go for that. No can do went mm. to number one, oh, and yeah. it got stuck at number two. All yeah. the notes. <laughs> uh, I first time be, I thought we were going to have a connection here because we had mentioned Kim Carnes. Oh I, yeah, I yeah. Buddy David Sides came out in '81 too. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. So first time we hear this song is at the club also during the slow dance. So yep. Brian, I'm sure you like this song. Of course. I mean that four under four album is. You guys talked about it on, on yeah. a recent episode. I mean, geez, this song, Jukebox Hero, Urgent. Oh my God, that's that's where I think Urgent might have been my love of saxophone because you know my dad loved Junior Walker and Junior Walker's on that, and so that's probably why I like Never too. Sorry guys, <laughs> so, yeah. you know there's the saxophone, but no, it's it's a great scene because it's right after Hurt So Good in the film and uh sarah jessica parker is kind of sitting back and she's just longing to dance with willard and here he is she's like swaying back and forth she's seeing ren and, and ariel and willard just won't budge he's just downing his beer in the background <laughs> and uh you know he hadn't heard let's hear for the boy yet so he, he wasn't gonna budge so yeah <laughs> it, it, it's a real well it's a good use of this song in that in that particular scene yeah and steven i know you like this song because we've talked about foreigner a lot yeah, it's one of the best uh, ballads to come out of the 80s, in my opinion. I just think it's a fantastic song on that record. And uh, learning that Brian has such a big love for saxophone songs, I got to take this moment to promote Heat and give so give uh, Brian a gateway uh, drug to the band Heat. Mm. Uh, yeah, I know, I know them. Go listen to In and Out of Trouble. That's your homework. In and Out of okay. Trouble by Heat. It's off an earlier record. Is it as good as Sexy Sax Man from The Lost Boys? <laughs> Better. <laughs> Better. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then the final song on the 15th anniversary is really, if you didn't get enough Dancing in the Sheets, it's an extended 12-inch remix, which we've already talked about the song. So at this point, we want to get favorite two tunes, least favorite two tunes, and we'll start with Brian. Well, I mentioned it, and uh, you know, people are already throwing things at me. Never has got to be there, and I'm gonna have to go with Footloose, the title track. I think that's ultimately my favorite, even though um, Holding Out for Heroes a, a near, near a close one. Uh, easily least favorite to Somebody's Eyes, and this one. And now this gets tougher. I would, uh, I think the girl gets around. I think, and and it's not by my. I don't hate the song, but if I had to compare it to everything else, that's my second least favorite. Steven, how about you? Top two, bottom two. All right. Top two is going to be The Girl Gets Around. Got to be one of my favorites mm. on this. And then the second favorite is really tough because I like a lot of these. And so probably it's really hard. I mean, maybe Dancing in the Sheets, but I really like Footloose and Let's Hear It for the Boy, too. So I, it's tough. I'll, I'll go with uh, Dancing in the Sheets just to give it a little bit of a <laughs> funk flavor. That way I can do a little dancing after I get done rocking. <laughs> uh, my least favorite, too, I think is going to be, it, well, it's going to be unanimous across the board with us, which is Somebody's <laughs> Eyes. That song's awful. <laughs> so Somebody's Eyes. And then I got to go with, I mean, normally I would say a ballad like Almost Paradise because it's also uh, sort of fatigue and it's a ballad, but it is a really well-written song. So I, I think I got to go with Never. Yeah, so for me, bottom two, somebody's eyes is not good. Never can be just erased from music history. It's <laughs> terrible. Should have wow. been on. 
<laughs> who was who was uh who was the guy that used to sing the children's song, the dude with the beard? Who was that dude? Forgot his name. The beard. Um, oh, Raffy. Raffy. There you go. <laughs> Raffy song. With a kazoo. There you go. Yep. Well, there you go. Maybe he can do a song like instead of the saxophones, he plays kazoo. I'm all in. I'll buy it. You do it, Raffy. I'll buy it. My number two is Footloose because that that song, no matter how many times I've heard it, I don't have fatigue with it at all. And then my top one on our text group, Stephen called it. It's one of the best duets in rock history, guys, in pop history. Maybe not rock history, pop history. It's beautifully set. Almost Paradise is an amazing, amazing song. It's written well. They picked two great singers, and it's sang beautifully, right? So when you put it up with, like, Islands in the Stream, like, it's not even mm. close. Yeah. Like, it just completely obliterates that song, right? So that's my favorite uh, out of uh, this soundtrack. I'm surprised they didn't get together again. Because this, I mean, what a perfect match. You would think yeah. they, they could almost do a full album together. Now, like if Kenny Rogers and Dolly Parton could do stuff, then, you know. That's right. So, you know, all things got to connect to Kiss at some point. You wanted the best, but you got the best. The hottest band in the world, Kiss! It's time for your historic moment on Growing Up Rock. So for the Kiss Dork moment, I wanted to find a song released by Kiss in 84 that could have fit the movie. So they're in the studio right now, technically recording Animalize. So that puts us on that album. Now, if you've seen the movie, there's many times, and I'm sure there were some scenes left on the cutting room floor, where a character is thinking or wondering or recollecting, or we could have done a montage type thing for Ariel's difficulties, or instead of playing Hurt So Good crossing the state line, this song could have played, or when they were on their dirt bikes traveling across state lines. Like There was a couple of times where a song like A Million to One from Lick It Up could have fit, or... Thrills in the night from Animalize, especially with that right there's it, and there's the words fit a little bit, the music fits a little bit, and it's a little more serious. And of course, burn bitch burn can't work on everything. So here is <laughs> Thrills in the Night.
I think Heaven's on Fire could have worked for the. That's true uh, too. The yeah. Reverend, yeah. Burn, bitch, burn could have been interesting. Yeah. <laughs> it totally could have, especially yeah during the the Death Wish scenes. Yeah, so this song, uh, I agree with you, Sonny. I think it could work in places. I think they would have had to do some edits on this song and maybe take out the shredding guitar at the beginning because I, that I don't think fits the feel of this movie, uh, yeah. that part of the song. So I think they would have needed to edit out Mark St. John's guitar on those parts. What's interesting is on this album, it's totally obvious they were trying to match A Million to One, which is actually one of my favorite Paul songs ever like in any era. Thrills in the Night's not bad. I just say it's tough to compare it to A Million to One. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, Kiss, my guess is nobody's looking at Kiss for any of this kind of stuff because no. reality is they're kind of in the heart phase, especially in pop culture. They're making a comeback and they've a little bit came back with Lick It Up, but really in pop culture, they're not really in there yet and really they're not there until maybe 87 when really uh forever and all that you know mm -hmm. reason to live forever and all that kind of stuff shows up afterwards so what's interesting is when gene was kind of going for his movie career i wonder if he specifically avoided doing any songs for the movies he was in because you would have thought that would have been kind of a natural you know hey include one of my tracks or one of the kisses tracks if i'm going to be in this i don't know i i think their name is a little bit mud and that mm -hmm. stops him from getting parts so he's like i'm staying away from that because you're right if they're a popular if mike reno's doing movies at that point there's totally. lover boy songs all over those movies that's right that's yeah. right so steven a good idea overall for the episode i enjoyed the soundtrack a lot more than <laughs> i enjoyed the movie that's for sure <laughs> <laughs> i enjoyed both and yeah i mean just a real quick recap which is i mean if you're new to the podcast both sonny and i oftentimes will go and guest on Brian's podcast, Damn Good Movie Memories. And Brian has been on our podcast for other episodes many times. We've done Aerosmith episodes. We've done Van Halen 1984 review. Uh, I think we did uh, Bohemian Rhapsody or a Queen thing as well. Brian's categories. Yep. I think Brian was in categories, wasn't he? That's right. With uh, with Mike from Steel City. That's a great right. Man. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, we've we've both gone back and forth on different podcasts, but the one thing that we've never done is a crossover episode where the episodes are released almost at the same time and have something to do with each other. So I thought it would be a good idea, and it just made sense. I mean, it's kind of like a duh, uh, why wouldn't we do something like this? Because oftentimes we say music and movies intersect. There's a lot of music and movies that intersect all the time, and Sonny and I are both movie fans, and obviously Brian's a movie fan uh, as well, but he's also a music fan. Brian, talk a little bit about your radio show that you do every Thursday night a little bit. So it's every Wednesday night, but you were close. Uh, so yeah, that's close. <laughs> Thursday, Wednesday. <laughs> well, wow. actually, technically, he's almost correct because it is. It's Don't personal. help. Don't <laughs> I love Steven, so I got to help him a little bit. <laughs> so R-I-A-A. -A, no. Uh, so we uh, the, the Wednesday night show, The Bad Beat on ThatMetalStation.com starts at 11 p.m. Eastern time. So it does go into Thursday morning. I'll give him that. Uh, so, yeah. So it's, it's all blues-based hard rock. So a lot of stuff, most of the stuff that wouldn't be here on the soundtrack, but it's a lot of stuff like uh, Club or uh, Government Mule, White Snake, bands like that. So that that's what uh, we play. And of course, we take requests and everything if you're in the chat room. But it's just a lot of fun to get two hours of you know music that I can program and, and introduce a lot of people to bands that they might know, but I play mostly deep cuts. Like, you don't need to hear You Shook Me All Night Long Again or Back in Black, but I will play Overdose from, from the Bon Scott era or some deep Motorhead tracks or some deep ones. Why? 
<laughs> well, this isn't for, see, Sonny's asleep by this time, so that's okay. <laughs> uh, but no, it's it, it's a lot of fun to do. It gives me uh, a chance to get rid of my my music Jones, you know, because the podcast I pretty much stick with movies. So this this again was a great idea, and I I think we could do more of this, uh, you know, together because I did. We'll we'll do some of the behind the scenes stuff. I gave. Uh, a few options because I needed to have a movie ready to talk about. And it takes a lot of time for me to put together um, damn good movie memories in an episode. And so Footloose was one of them. The other one was Romy and Shell's High School Reunion, which is very 80s. Uh, some of the top pop hits. It's probably too poppy for the grown up rock crowd because it's like Bananarama and the Go-Go's and Belinda Carlisle. It's a really fun. Really? Because we just played Dancing in the Sheets. <laughs> that's true and, and you guys like um who, who's the guy for sticks uh, dennis de young you guys oh, gave yeah. him a positive review and you guys hated volume four from black Sabbath. so i think i'm okay yeah. if we did Romeo and michelle the other one that was worth talking about potentially was repo man i don't know if you guys oh yeah seen, but that's a total 80s early punk la yeah. soundtrack you know it's like iggy pop and the circle jerks and things like that fun fun cult classic so uh, yeah i pitched this idea to sunny and i said what do you think and sunny said well just you throw it out there and pitch it to brian and let brian dictate what movie we're gonna do which is what i did because i knew brian does a lot of prep and again i encourage you guys to go listen to damn good movie memories if not for this episode for another one of his episodes because he puts a lot of time and effort into his edits and uh his movie clips and things like that and so uh it's a really well done podcast and if you're into movies then you would obviously enjoy it to kind of get under the hood and i know you guys do the same there's a lot of work that goes into each one of these podcasts and we do it for the right reasons because we're not doing this for money at all so i i someone asked me well how long does it take you to do an episode i'm like a minimum of 10 hours because you got to watch the movie you got to take the notes you got to find the clips you do your interviews and then you put it all together and before you know it 10 hours is gone but i love it i absolutely love it because like it or not and i think you guys will agree what we're leaving behind is our legacy because this will live on the internet forever. And I think that's kind of cool. So if you're going to do it, you do it the right way. And I think uh, a lot of our friends podcasts do it the right way. And, and, uh, and yeah, and that's why, that's why I love doing it. Yeah. What we found and we've been doing it a lot more lately is when we ourselves can be creative Mm -hmm. and kind of add some things into the episode that kind of keeps us going because the, the editing of the hour of audio and trying to figure out the ums and the da 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 and you know stuff we do that's weird. I say right all the time, or he <laughs> says all right all the time. <laughs> Editing some of that is not super fun, but the no. creativity that comes after it is a lot of fun. Absolutely, and, yeah. and then the feedback you get, where you yeah. know that people are listening, or they'll they'll come to you like, I checked out this band because you guys mentioned, it, or I watched yeah. this movie because you mentioned, or I watched it again. That that's what it's worth. I, that that's enough for me, you know. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, it is, it is all of that. Everything Sonny said and everything you said as well. It's just, uh, uh, it's, it's no different than a hobby, mm-hmm. you know, collecting baseball cards for somebody or whatever. It's just a hobby. Drinking, heroin, <laughs> same shit. Yeah, hey, do what you got to do, you know, whatever gets you by. <laughs> dancing. <laughs> oh, yeah. good Lord. Dancing yeah. in the sheets. Dancing. Yeah, that's right. Sonny taking the uh, 12 inch remix of dancing in the sheets and dancing in front of a mirror. It's all good. (laughs) Uh, It's been fun. So go to damn good movie memories, listen to the movie recap of footloose and then come back over here. But if you're listening to this, you've already listened to this episode most likely. So put the two together and hopefully you'll get a nice couple hours of entertainment out of the whole package. And uh, that'll be good. So, uh, yeah, look for us to do maybe some more of these in the future. And, uh, it's, it's a fun idea and hopefully you guys will enjoy it as well. 
until uh, next week, I guess that's it. Brian Davis, thank you. Thank you, guys. Sonny Pooney, we are out of here. See ya. Later. Get ready to shuffle, rattle, and roll. Play us out, boys. Everyone's got a rock and roll story to tell, and we want to hear yours. So go to our website at growinguprock.com. That's one word, G-R-O-W-I-N-U-P-R-O-C-K.com. Or visit us on our Facebook page at Growing Up Rock and tell us all about it. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that fantasy points has to offer. That's fantasypoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. Fantasypoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.